please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 4. Our sermon text for this morning is Romans 4, and uh, you may be wondering why are we in Romans uh, this morning. Uh, we, were, we were in Genesis and, and then Philippians and now, now Romans? I thought we were going to John. What's going on? Uh, so uh, we, we just finished up looking at the Abraham story in the book of Genesis, and there are two passages, there are a number of passages in the New Testament that mention Abraham, but there are two passages in particular that it was mentioned to me uh, that might be a good conclusion to the Abraham story. This passage in Romans 4 and another passage in, in James 2. So we're going to look at Romans 4 this week and James 2 next week, uh, both chapters, uh, two uh, of the chapters in the New Testament, which mention Abraham. And uh, then in case you're curious, after James 2, Josue will be back uh, for uh, Philippians for a week uh, before I preach on uh, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and then his resurrection. And then we'll be back in the Gospel of John. So we're headed there. We'll get there. Uh, but before then, uh, let's, uh, let's read Romans 4. And before we read it, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every part of it. Uh, we thank you that we get to study it. And uh, not just study it, Father, but that we get to hear your voice speaking to us in the scriptures. And that's what we come to do this morning. We come to hear your voice speaking in your word. And we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you would give us ears to hear, uh, that you would give us uh, minds to understand and hearts to receive everything that you have for us in the scriptures. Uh, we pray that you would teach us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness." Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith 
in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, Christianity is nothing if not about faith. Christianity involves a message to be believed. Paul calls it the pattern of sound words and sound doctrine and sound teaching. And and Jude calls it the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Faith is how we are saved. In Acts 16, when asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans 10, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Faith is how we defeat Satan. Uh, Peter says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and then he says, resist him firm in your faith. Faith is how we overcome the world. Uh, 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Once when Jesus was asked, what must we do to be doing the works of God? He answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So believing or having faith is at the heart of Christianity. I had a friend once uh, who, uh, had, who heard the, the monkey's song, I'm a Believer, and uh, thought it was a Christian song uh, because, I mean, after all, it, the guy says, I'm a believer over a dozen times. We're gonna talk about faith this morning And uh, now our text, of course, is not just about faith. It is uh, about a particularly important Christian teaching called justification by faith. In the book of Romans, up to this point, Paul had told us that all people, uh, Jew and Greek, those outwardly far from God and those who seem so close to him, all have sinned and so none are righteous. That means in themselves, no one is right with God. Not religious people, not irreligious people. And so the question is, how can we be made right with God? How can we be justified? How can we be declared righteous? How can a sinner be made right with the Holy One? And Paul's answer is through faith, which is why we're going to be talking about faith this morning. Uh, You'll find our outline in your bulletin. We're going to ask three questions about faith. What is the opposite of faith? 
What are the benefits of faith and how do I grow in my faith? And so first, what is the opposite of faith? Uh, it, it may seem like a silly question. I mean, what is the opposite of faith? Well, well not faith, right? The, the, the opposite of belief is unbelief. You either believe or, or you don't believe. And certainly sometimes the Bible contrasts faith and unbelief. In fact, we see that in verse 20 of our text. But that is not the main thrust of this chapter. Remember the big question that Paul is answering. How is one justified? How is one made right with God? And look at verse 2. If Abraham was justified, declared righteous, by works, he has something to boast about. But, verse 3, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. What is the opposite of belief here? Not unbelief, but works. Uh, in verses 9 through 12, the opposite of faith is circumcision. Was Abraham justified when circumcised? No, he was justified by faith before he was circumcised. In verses 13 through 16, the, the opposite, so to speak, of faith is the law. Uh, verse 13 says this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So is, is Abraham justified by works? No, but by faith. Was Abraham justified when circumcised? No, but while uncircumcised, through faith. Does the promise come by the law? No, but through the righteousness of faith. And so what is Paul getting at here? It, it, it's clearly not that, that works in themselves are, are bad or, or circumcision in itself or the Mosaic law in itself. None of those things are bad, but neither do they have the power of faith. Again, the problem is not so much those things. God gave the Mosaic law. He instituted circumcision. He commands good works in the Bible. The problem is not those things. The problem is when we trust in those things rather than God himself. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The opposite of faith when it comes to justification is always works. The Jews in Jesus' day were tempted to trust in the works of the law, circumcision being the first work. Other people at other times have trusted in other things. But it's always works of some sort. It's always something that we do, that we rest in. Uh, there is never mere unbelief. Everyone is trusting in something. And the great human endeavor is for each of us to, to justify our own existence. Uh, we don't go around saying that, of course, but we all want to know and we want others to know that we have a right to be here, that, that we belong in some way. We want to justify ourselves. And the way we do that is by acting a certain way, by living up to a certain standard, by, by trying to keep certain rules. We say things like, uh, I, I think I've been a pretty good person, and, and I'm not perfect, no, but I'm not terrible, or I've done my best and I meant well. We're trying to justify our existence through works. Right? There, there is no mere unbelief. When it comes to justification, the opposite of faith is works. Uh, even if you feel like a failure, if you go around feeling guilty and depressed and ashamed, despairing because you don't live up, notice you're still trying to justify yourself by works. You're just failing at it. That's why you feel so bad. You want to be justified by works, but you look at yourself and you go, I know it, it, it doesn't work. 
And let me ask you, what do you do to try to justify yourself? Uh, what do you do that makes you feel pretty good about yourself? Uh, what do you do that makes you feel better than other people? Uh, what do you do that if you were to admit it, admit it even, even just to yourself, uh, that you would say, well, God must love me because I, uh, because you what? Uh, because you have the right theology? Uh, because you go to the right church? Because you do your devotions every day? Because you vote in the right way? Uh, because you're a good parent? Because you speak good? Because you hold to traditional moral values? Uh, because you drive well? Because you dress well? Because you're smart? Because you're funny? Right? We, we try to find righteousness in all kinds of things, all kinds of works, all kinds of laws. What about you? Of course, there's more, right? The, the, the promises to Abraham are ultimately about fullness of life. We'll see more of that in a minute, but how do we go about trying to get that? Work a little harder? Try a little more? Uh, once again, the, the opposite of faith is works. Where do you think life, fullness of life, comes from? What do you have to do to get it? Work hard? Do well in school? Lie, cheat, and steal, right? Either way, if by those things you are, you are seeking to secure your future, earn your good things by what you do. You are living by works and not by faith. And so what is the opposite of faith? Not simply unbelief, but works. We all trust something. Something to justify our existence. Something to prove we deserve a place in the world or at least a place at the table. Something to, to get us the good life. If you're not trusting in God, then what? So second, what are the benefits of faith? Paul talks about two in this chapter. Righteousness with God and the promises of God. Uh, in verses 1 through 12, Paul is talking about how we become right with God. Uh, how can we be declared righteous? How can we be justified? Again, look at verses 2 and 3. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then Paul uses three arguments to drive home his point. Uh, first in verses four to five, he talks about works and wages. Paul says, if you work, your wages are not a gift. They are your due. But righteousness was not Abraham's due. It was counted to him as a gift. It was something Abraham had not earned. It was counted to him as righteousness. The second, in verses six through eight, Paul brings in another Old Testament saint, David. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, David in those quotes doesn't mention righteousness, but David supports Paul's point like this. If one is blessed because his sins are forgiven, then he's not blessed because he himself was righteous by works. When David confesses his sin in Psalm 32 and says, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, that blessing does not come because he fulfilled the law. That blessing came after he broke it. Third, verses 10 through 12, Paul asks when Abraham was justified, or better, in what condition was Abraham when he was justified? Was Abraham circumcised or not? Now, why is that important? Well, because for, for the Jews, circumcision was the entrance into a life of law-keeping. 
You couldn't be a law keeper if you weren't first circumcised. But when was Abraham justified, before or after he was circumcised? Not after, but before. Which means Abraham could not possibly have been justified because of his law keeping. Circumcision, like baptism in the New Testament, was a sign and seal of the righteousness that Abraham already had by faith. Why did God do it that way? Why justify Abraham before being circumcised? Paul says in verse 11, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness will be counted to them as well. And verse 12, to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. You see, God's purpose was this, that Abraham would be the father of many nations, ethnic Jews and ethnic Greeks, circumcised and uncircumcised. How then is he our father? Because we share in the faith of our father Abraham. Children are like their parents, and we are like Abraham when we share his faith. So what is the benefit of faith? First, it's it's being made right with God through faith, justified by faith, not by works. And and I want to point out something I I skipped over a moment ago. Sometimes people think, oh, uh, but you don't know my sins. Uh, My sins are too big. Uh, or, or I've sinned so much, or so often, or so terribly, and I can't stop, I keep going, I feel trapped. Surely faith is not enough for me. Surely I can't be made right with God simply by believing. I mean, faith might have worked for Abraham, and it might have worked for Paul, and it might work for most Christians, but I'm different. My sin is too great. Well, look back at verse five. Verse five says, and to the one who does not work, but trusts Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. God, this text says, justifies the ungodly. That's a strong statement. Paul could have said God justifies sinners. Maybe that would have been a little lighter. He'll say that elsewhere. But that's not what he says here. Here he says God justifies the ungodly. Are you ungodly? Believe in God who justifies the ungodly, and through faith, you will be counted righteous before God. That is the promise of the gospel. We serve a God who justifies, who declares right with him the ungodly. Not the moral, not the religious, not those who try their best, not those who are a little better than they were before. Paul says God justifies the ungodly. Do you believe that? This is the the great benefit of faith, right? God justifies the ungodly who believe in him. We are right with the God of heaven by faith. But there's another benefit in this passage, uh, the promises of God. Verse 13 says, For the promise uh, to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. How does Abraham receive the promises of God? Does he receive the promises of uh, of God by keeping the law? No. Why not? Paul says, verse 14, if it is those who keep the law who are heirs, who receive the promises, then faith is null and the promises are void. Now, what does that mean? Uh, it, It means if you have to keep the law to receive the promises, then faith is meaningless. You don't need faith, you need obedience. 
but also the promise itself is void. Why would uh, having to keep the law to receive the promise, why would that make the promise void? Well, verse 15, the law brings wrath. And Paul said back in Romans 3.20, through the law comes knowledge of sin. And in Romans 7, Paul will say the law stirs up sin in our hearts. And of course, the law being a law condemns sin. If there was no law, Paul says, there would be no transgressions. Verse 15, Paul doesn't mean that that if there was no law, there would be no sin, but that you couldn't transgress the law if there were no law. And so the law aggravates our condition. It actually makes it worse. Paul will say in Romans 5.20, the law increases sin. Which means if it is the keepers of the law that receive the promise, the promise is void. It's empty. It's nothing. It's meaningless. You might as well not have a promise because none of us keeps the law. Rather, law brings not God's promise, but God's wrath. This is why, verse 16, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And do you see Paul's point? The the promise must come through faith if it is to come at all. And it does. So that it comes to all Abraham's offspring, both to the law-keeping Jew and the law-breaking Gentile. Because Abraham is the father of us all, that is, all who share in the faith of Abraham. This is how God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham to be the father of many nations. Jew or Greek, black or white, rich or poor, Democrat or Republican, Abraham is the father of all who believe. And here's what this means. If you believe in God like Abraham, you have both righteousness from God and the promises of God. You are right with God by faith, justified, and the promises of God to Abraham are for you. And notice how Paul summarizes those promises here. He says the promise to Abraham and his offspring is that he would be the heir of the world, verse 13. Paul's summary is not that Abraham would inherit Canaan, but the whole earth. Psalm 37, 11 says the meek shall inherit the land. And Jesus interprets that for us in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God's sights were never set so small as a plot of ground in the Middle East. That was just a a foretaste, an appetizer, a picture, a down payment. Abraham was to be the heir of the world. And Paul says, if you believe, you, the ungodly, are right with God and will inherit the earth. That's our promise. That's God's promise to us. I wonder if you have set your sights too low. Are you striving for a little piece of this present age? Is your goal in life to to get the girl, to get the job, to get the house, to get the car? Is your goal a quiet afternoon or obedient kids or a faithful spouse, a degree or another degree? None of those things are bad, but is that where you've set your heart? If so, you've set your sights too low. Dream bigger. Those who share the faith of Abraham share in the promises of Abraham. They will inherit the earth. So what is the opposite of faith? Works, trusting in human effort to justify yourself. What are the benefits of faith? Well, being right with God and inheriting the earth. Third, how do I grow my faith? If faith is as important as Paul makes it out to be, how do I grow? How do I strengthen my faith? 
And uh, well, first go back to our previous two points, right? First, what, what else are you trusting in? What are you trusting in to justify your existence and feel good about yourself? What are you relying on to get you the good life? R- repent, right? Repent of those things. Repent of what you're trusting in. Repent of your works. Repent of trying to save yourself. Repent of the false saviors and all the, the methods of self-salvation and self-medication. Nothing you do can make you right with God. Nothing you do can secure the good life. Despair of human effort. Repent of self-salvation. The second, remind yourself of God's blessings to us in Christ by faith. Encourage your heart with a thought of reconciliation with God through faith. Encourage your heart with the promises of God by faith. But there's still more to our text. How do I grow? How do I strengthen my faith? Paul suggests there, he suggests there are degrees of faith, doesn't he? When he says in verse 19, Abraham did not weaken in faith, but rather, verse 20, he grew strong in his faith. And now this language for some could be discouraging. Oh, here it is. Uh, It's not about works, but there's still a ranking. Uh, She has strong faith. He has weak faith. His is stronger. Hers is weaker. We can always slip in works, can't we? We always, we want to rank ourselves. We always want something we can boast in, even if it is the strength of our faith. But this text here, it's, it's actually, it's not about boasting. In fact, it's not about us at all. I, I think what we see here, what makes faith weak or strong, when, he, when Paul talks about weakening in faith or strengthening in faith, it's not the one who believes, but what they believe in. Put differently, what matters is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith. Your faith will be strong when you are looking in the right place. And there are two places to look. We either look to the world or our circumstances, ourselves, or we look to God. Again, look at verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, in hope he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham hoped against hope. Uh, What does that mean? It means against all odds. Against all human measurements of hope, Abraham hoped. Remember Abraham's situation. God promised to make him the father of many nations and that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in heaven. That was God's promise. What was the situation? Abraham had no children. His body was as good as dead and his wife, Sarah, was barren. Now, when you're in that kind of situation, what do you do? Right, you know, your car broke down, your cell phone died and the baby's screaming in the back seat. What do you do? You've been falsely accused at work by coworkers who gossip behind your back. What do you do? Or you just received a diagnosis, fourth stage cancer. What do you do? What do you do in such situations? Typically what we do is we meditate on the problem. We start running the situation over and over again in our minds. We start thinking through worst case scenarios. We try to think of possible ways forward. We look at our own resources. I don't know what to do. I I don't have what it takes. There's nothing for me to do here. We spiral down in despair. Do you want your faith to be weak? There's a, a simple formula. Do you want your faith to waver, to whimper? Here's the formula. Meditate on your problems. 
Meditate on your meager resources. Think about everything that you're up against. Catastrophize. But that's not what Abraham did. Keep reading, verses 20 and 21. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Uh, Now, you may wonder, uh, did Abraham really not waver in faith? As I read Genesis, he seems to waver, right? But here's how I read this. When God looks back on Abraham, he does not remember his doubts, but his faith. Our best works are tainted by sin. But when God looks upon them in Jesus, he sees them as perfect in his son. And this is part of what it means to be justified. I am righteous in Christ and my works are accepted in Christ. That means they are accepted as perfect even though in themselves tainted. Abraham is remembered for his faith, not his doubts. At the same time, he was a man of faith, perhaps exceptional faith. What is it that strengthened his faith? What made his faith grow strong? As he gave glory to God, that is, as he recognized God for who he is, glorious. And how did Abraham see that glory? He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, verse 21. Look back even to, to verse 17. The God in whom Abraham believed was the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That is, God is powerful and life-giving on the one hand, and he makes powerful promises on the other. He calls into existence the things that do not exist, which is to say he promises, and his promises come true. Just as at creation he spoke and the world came to be. This is what the God in whom, uh, this was the God in whom Abraham believed, and how could God be any less? Abraham had to believe that God could bring life to Sarah's empty womb through Abraham's dead body. Hebrews tells us that Abraham went to offer up Isaac because he believed that God could raise the dead. Abraham believed that God could bring life out of death and call into existence things that are not. This is why it didn't matter if his own body was as good as dead and Sarah was barren. Abraham could hope against hope. Because it didn't matter if, humanly speaking, there was no hope. He knew that God gives life to the dead and speaks into existence the things that do not yet exist. Now, now notice two things about faith here. First is, it, it is the nature of faith to be challenged. God has hundreds of glorious promises in the scripture, but, but you cannot bring them about in your strength. Your circumstances seem to speak against them. What are you to do? Give up? Throw in the towel, despair. No, believe that God can raise the dead. He can speak life into your existence. He is able to do what he has promised. Trust him and wait on him. Abraham waited at least 25 years for Isaac's birth after God had promised. 25 years. How long have you waited? Are you ready to throw in the towel after 15 or 10 or 5 The nature of faith is to be challenged. Uh, One theologian, Dick Gaffin, said the nature of faith is to be tested and to have difficulties to overcome. There is no faith without conflict. To believe is to struggle, to struggle against the appearance of things. As long as someone believes something, his faith is contested from all sides. Second thing to notice here, and I've saved it to the end, but it's, it's super important, and that is that faith is not generic. 
Uh, We've been talking about faith and belief, but what we mean is faith in God. And not just faith in a God or some God or a generic God. Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead. Paul spells out the implications for us in verses 23 to 25. He says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Believing in in a God or some God or a generic God will not do. We must believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That is, he died to deal with our sins. He paid the debt. He took the curse. He accepted the penalty our sins deserved. And he was raised to bring us justification. And Jesus, too, had to walk by faith. He he was a child of Abraham, the child of Abraham. But his enemies plotted against him to put him to death. And he trusted in his father. But his faith was challenged, right? He was cut off from the land of the living, crucified, dead, and buried. But even on the cross, when his own body was as good as dead, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. And as as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so Jesus said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I trust you, Father. Even there, even at the cross, when things were as bad as they could get, Jesus said, I trust you. I trust your promises. I know they'll come through. And God raised him from the dead, vindicating Jesus, declaring him righteous, Uh, not through the forgiveness of sins because Jesus had no sin, but because he actually was righteous. He did not deserve death. And the resurrection was the father's way of vindicating his son. Jesus having been declared righteous, we can now be declared righteous in him through faith in him and through faith in his father who gives life to the dead. It's important that we realize when, when Abraham, when you, when, when me, when I, when we are counted righteous by faith, it's not that our faith itself is accepted as righteousness, but by faith we receive the righteousness of Jesus. Again, the power of faith is not the fact of faith. The power of faith is the object of faith, Jesus, the righteous one. You, the ungodly, can be counted righteous when you put your faith in the righteous one whom the Father raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord. Do you want to grow in your faith? Stop meditating on your problems. Doesn't mean you need to ignore them. Doesn't mean you need to pretend they don't exist. But stop meditating on them and start meditating on the cross. That Jesus died for your sin and was raised for your justification. Set your sights there. Hope against hope that God will come through because he is able to do what he has promised. And he's proven that by raising Jesus from the dead. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for you, the God who keeps his promises, the God who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. And we thank you that because of Jesus, that you are ready to accept us on faith, by faith, not because we are righteous, not because we have lived up, but because Jesus did what we could not do. Grant us this faith, Father. Help us to trust in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.